Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of knowing your phone leaked, so just announcing it before you were going to announce it anyway. <laughs> it's a strategy. Yeah, that's it is a choice you can make. Yeah, Google has made it for many years in a row now. Yeah, it's Google's annual tradition. That's just <laughs> like, the marketing strategy now. Well, it leaked. Here it is. Anyway, I'm your friend Eli. Alex Franz is here. I'm your friend who doesn't want the Pixel Fold. The only one. The only one. The only one in the Vergecast who doesn't want one. I'm sorry. Okay, we'll get to you in a minute. David Pierce is here. Hi. Can I just show you this Verge mug that I found? This was just chilling in my closet. It's the Ooh. like old, 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 old Verge mug, and it makes me very happy. That's right. Is it big? I feel like her new ones are not big enough. No, they're definitely not big enough. This is like probably 14 ounces. It's a nice okay. size. Big fan. Well, they may not be big enough, but they certainly make us money. Go to store.theverge.com <laughs> and buy just... We have actually... Uh, we have really cool joggers... Oh yeah. This is just a, this is just going to be QVC for the, the rest go. of the hour. The very cool pillows. I was just thinking I need to buy a pillow and put it back here on on my mantle so you can see it during the show. <laughs> That's where everybody puts their pillows is oh, on right? their mantle. Yeah, classic pillow spot. <laughs> By the way, it's shop.theverge.com. You can tell that I'm I'm great at this. <laughs> Anyhow, there's a lot of news. Sarah Jong is going to join us in a little bit to talk about what's happening on Blue Sky, which is near as I can tell is butts, just nude butts. But Sarah's going to join the show to talk about what they mean on a deeper level. <laughs> what do the butts mean? What is the Vergecast if not discussing the deeper level of butts on the internet? Yeah, that's what it's for. Yeah. But the internet was created by, by butts. Yeah. We should talk about the Pixel Fold. That's going on. There's a bunch of AI news to get into. Let's start with the Fold since it is, at least for us, breaking news. You in your car tomorrow. You know about it. But just imagine. Put yourself in the headspace we're in, which is we're going to start the show and then Google was like, yeah, here it is. David, what's going on here? So, yeah, Google I.O. is next week, next Wednesday, the 10th. And there have been rumors that the Pixel Fold was going to happen for a while. We kind of knew Google was going to make a, a foldable phone. They've been making software kind of in that direction for a while. This is a good way to, like, try and make some noise because it's still a relatively new market. And then, like you said, they literally just tweeted it out. It's just, like, just out of nowhere. They just tweeted uh, it out. They just tweeted it out. And it's... It's a foldable phone. So all we've seen is basically one of those sort of, you know, spinning models. So there's not a ton you can learn from it. But I will say the two things that seem to be true based on the picture so far is that rather than being one of those like 
super tall things. Like when you close a Galaxy Fold, it basically turns into a TV remote. It's like 11 yeah. feet long. And thus is like a totally ridiculous thing to use closed, I think. But this looks more like, I don't know, like the Surface Duo, where it's like relatively normal phone sized and then sort of folds open to be wider rather than just tall. So it has a little bit of like a iPad mini turned on its side vibe when it's open and just kind of looks like a phone on the inside. There's a million questions like, will there be a big crease down the middle? How thick are these are these pictures hiding that it's like chunkier than it actually is, which they sometimes do. But just at the very basic level that we've seen, this thing looks really nice. I'm kind of into it. It does look really nice. The sort of new age pixel camera bump on the back. This is the first execution of it where I'm not like, ugh. Yeah, I got to click on the, does it rotate? It's the, oh no, that's a big bump. Yeah. I was like, this is so small. No. No, it's it's a gigantic camera bump. It's the, huge. The thing we've heard about the most is that when you close it, there's no gap. They've they've managed to re-engineer the hinge. That's all I come to Google for is re-engineered hinges. Yeah. When you think of Google, you think of uh, physical products and hinges. Yeah. I'm just saying when Apple makes an iPhone that folds, there's going to be a 19 minute long video about the hinge. And so if Google doesn't do that now, they're missing a real opportunity. Like they should just stop the IO keynote in the middle and just play a 30 minute documentary they made about the hinge. That's that's what I would do. I would watch it. I will watch it. Yeah, we're going to watch it. We're going to be there. Yeah. So here's the thing. We went through a pretty intense period Mm -hmm. of excitement about folding phones. Yes. And I will I will happily accept the criticism that I was very excited about them because I think form factor changes are when people actually shift products and platforms. Yes. Yep. And I was super wrong about this. <laughs> Zero iPhone owners were like, well, that phone folds. I'm leaving iMessage, which I think says something very important about iMessage. iMessage definitely more superior. But I want this. Like, I, I want a folding iPad. That's what. That's all I want in the world is, like, an iPad mini that just does this. Mm-hmm. But I want it on iOS because I want messages. Well, I also think the the thing about the Galaxy Fold is that it it still has a lot of caveats, right? Like, it looks cool, and then the longer you look at it, the worse it gets, right? It has that big seam down the middle. It has the yep. gaps kind of all around the edges. It's like the very first one-second impression is really good, but mm-hmm. after, like, 60 seconds, it kind of gets worse and worse. And then, from what I've heard from people who own these things, you, like, stop seeing those things. They're not really problems anyway, so the actual experience of owning one seems to be pretty great. Everybody I know who has one is very happy with it. But what there hasn't been is one that doesn't feel like it makes you make sort of obvious compromises in how you use your phone. Like the fold is also enormous. And I think the pixel fold just by virtue of what it is, is probably also going to be big. It's also going to be expensive. The rumor is it's going to be, uh, I think upwards of 1700 bucks, which is a lot of money for a phone. I just don't think we've got the data to prove your theory wrong. Nilay. I think there's a chance. That's the, the phone unfolds into a tablet part of the foldable world. You're thinking about the yeah, flips. the Z flips of the world, which like T-Mobile would just, they would just throw at you. They would just accost you yeah. and give you a Galaxy Z Flip if you were like, I've been thinking about switching wireless carriers. Like, <laughs> Z Flip? <laughs> you got it. It's in your car already. You just boomerang it to you from across the T-Mobile store. Yeah, and I, I, I've seen lots and lots of people, Z, at least here in New York, people have Z Flips. And it just hasn't, there was a time when a phone that was that reasonably popular would actually have some sort of cultural impact. Right. Like the LG chocolate had more of a cultural impact than the Galaxy Z Flip. That's weird. The LG chocolate was a sick phone. I will not hear LG chocolate slander. The LG chocolate fans out there. Oh, they pulled over to like DM you. (laughs) Guess what you did? You pulled over and you pulled out your iPhone to write me that note. (laughs) But that's the thing. I don't think people 
care as much yeah. about phones. No, I like disagree. The gen- like, They're I think listening to this show. The people who li- who care about phones are <laughs> listening to us right now, and I'm sorry. But the majority of people are like, I got my iPhone. It does a thing. I got my Samsung. It does a thing. We were actually talking about this in the context of Humane last week, and then uh, it's come up in, on our team for a few other reasons. But the notion that something has to come after the phone is like the industry really wants that to be true, and regular people are like, meh. It does, it does the and thing. And so, like, the Z Flip is one of those, like, what comes after the phone? A phone that closes and, like, leaves you alone. And then you, like, look at, when we're in the third Z Flip, the fourth one, like, Wait, they just put a phone on the front of it. Mm-hmm. So you close it and you still have a phone. <laughs> and then you see the Pixel Fold and the, the Galaxy Fold, and you close it and there's still a phone. And the promise is then you'll have a tablet. And I'm very excited. I think this thing looks cool. I am a sucker. I'm almost certainly going to buy one. But I'm just looking at it. I'm like... Do I want an Android tablet? No. Is that what's missing? Yeah, that is the question. And the answer will be no. I'm not. I reserve judgment on the answer to that question. Yeah. After I spend $1,700, <laughs> I will let you know if I wanted an Android tablet all along. There's so many ways you could save that money. You can get it a little cheap like Amazon Fire. Sorry, Max, you're not going to college. I bought an Android tablet. <laughs> the good news is I absolutely guarantee you Google will give you a Pixel Watch if you buy one of these things. <laughs> yeah. We should move on, though. Sarah's here. And also, we're going to have a ton more to talk about at I.O. We're going to be at I.O. next week. We have lots and lots to discuss. There's somebody on Decoder that I think people want to hear from. Steeter. It's not <laughs> You finally got Thomas Google to come on the show. <laughs> it would be amazing if they were like, you can have Dieter. Uh, Dieter, I love you. Uh, you can't be on Decoder. Like that, that breaks even our over-disclosed conflict rules. I don't think it would be like one hour of disclosures. And then I'd be like, what's up, Dieter? <laughs> and then that would be the show. Anyhow, let's talk about Blue Sky. Sarah, welcome. Hi. All right. So we're in a moment of... I would say market correction in social networking. Like people are shopping. They're just out there, they're trying on new hats. Yeah. They're throwing some of the hats away. I like that that approach to it. That yeah. that's what it is though. People are just Today I'm gonna dress up like a firefighter and use blue sky. And then tomorrow I'm gonna throw that away. I'm be a policeman and I'll be on an activity pub. Like it's that's the moment we're in. I don't know how to fight fires or uh, solve crimes. But the hats are really important to both <laughs> of us. It's all that matters. This is a very deep village people reference that is just completely off the rails. Anyhow, the social network of the moment, we talked, uh, we've talked a lot about ActivityPub in the show, but there is another decentralized or potentially decentralized social network that has attracted a ton of attention that we're, we're all on called Blue Sky. Sarah, you wrote one of the best scene reports in Verge history about what's going on on Blue Sky it's a lot of butts from what we can tell. Tell us about the butts. What's going on? So many butts. I mean, for one thing, that when they set out to make this, one of the intentional decisions they made was, oh, we want people to be able to post racy content. Nailed it. <laughs> I know, right? Um, they did make some changes to the What's Hot tab. So that's like the For You page, basically. Um, no longer shows all of the butts. So there's way fewer butts going around, but that said, it's still, <laughs> there's plenty of it. There's still plenty of it. You can, it's like, turn around, people are enthusiastically posting themselves and just having a great time. So Blue Sky is, Jack Dorsey started it to decentralize Twitter as an exploration. Then there was the Elon cataclysm. He shut it down, but it still exists. Now it's a company, it's a foundation. How does this thing work? I believe they are a public benefit corporation. Apparently, there's 12 people in the work slack. I believe it's like nine people who are employed formally. And then there's like 
some technical advisors to the project who I guess have been suckered into doing actual work and they should really check out that situation soon. It's this thing where I think that they are eventually like planning on like they've got seed seed funding. They've got like I think that they have a really normal projected like corporate runway and so on. But I think like their eventual plan is to spin off into having this full protocol that people license. And I like I really don't know what they intend to do with that. Like they haven't been I think that they're probably planning on making like a full like detailed statement about what their financial uh, plans are. But my guess is that they're really fixing to be something like the Mozilla Foundation or the Tor Foundation or or how Signal works. That said, the business of running and making social networks is very different from all of those other things. And like we're seeing that this past week where the CEO has to personally step in because it's, you know, 12 people in the work slack. They, they, she has to personally step in and kick people off because they're <laughs> making trouble because it, it's like that's what happens when you get a lot of people together in one place is uh, things tend towards one person having to make a decision. And I find that really fascinating because the whole vision of this thing is to be decentralized, to be a protocol, not to be a platform. This is just a beta, so on and so forth. But it's a big beta. It's a very big beta. Well, and that's kind of the thing I want to talk about because there was it, what I can't figure out is like how this happened because it sort of seems like <laughs> like the app got launched. Well, David, you put butts on the internet, the people <laughs> show up. They're, they're, that is true. There they are. But at first, there was this moment where there was like this very small number of people. And it was all people who had sort of a reason to be there. And they all seemed to know each other. And it was just this like tiny little group chat that happened to be happening in Blue Sky. And then yeah. all of a sudden, over the course of what seemed like a day, all of the Internet shit posters arrived en masse all at once and just started decimating the platform in every possible <laughs> way they could find. And I'm assuming this is not what Jay, the CEO, meant to happen. It's like, how how did this blow up. It was like one of the top apps in the app store for a minute there, despite being like a total disaster of an app. Like, And also that you couldn't get into. Being at the top app on the app store that most people cannot yeah. use is a wild outcome. Yeah. It, it's, it's absurd. You can't get into it. And if you can, your phone is going to be so hot. So very hot. <laughs> like my phone was just burning up in my hands. It's like it's a very impressive piece of technology for being built by nine to 12 people, however many that actual number is. But it's uh, it's not good. It's not a good app. I think that like, I don't know, there's just a tipping point. And this is one of those things where like, is there like an economics, a fancy economics word for this? It's the thing where why, why everyone has to read Harry Potter <laughs> because everyone else has. Right. <laughs> right. Like there is just a tipping point where once everyone else is doing it, now you're there. Maybe it's like we should name it after like the uh, the Apple blue bubble issue, right? Like it's like everyone like pressures you into doing it. But there there was just a point where once AOC and Drill were on there, it just felt like, oh, I've got to be on there. I really want to be on there. I want to try that out. It felt like the invites were a big part of this because the invite, like that kind of built the the drama for it, right? Like everybody wanted to be in it because you were like, oh, I've got an invite. Do you want an invite? Yeah. I've got an invite. And so suddenly it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to get an invite to this because the exclusivity of it. It felt a lot like, do you guys remember? We're all old here. We can we can talk about it. Gmail. The, those first days. Of, no, the first days of Facebook. Like it yeah. took oh, over my college I campus. Oh, man, I thought you were going to be like Telnet. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
Rid of that. Grandpa old. Patel over yeah. here is like, yes, I remember, I remember Pine. Um, no, the first days of Facebook was real. Yeah, yeah. And it was suddenly like, everybody's like, oh, you had an invite. I want to do it. And then you go to the, the cafeteria and it was just a wasteland because everybody was at home checking out Facebook. And it felt very much like that. But only for shit posters instead of like college. <laughs> well, so I have two questions about this. One, it's the promise is decentralization. And so it's fascinating that they are not in reality decentralized. Yeah. So you can get the app. If you have an invite code, you can join one server on an app that is technically supposed to be able to let you join any server. And this is one enormous advantage over Mastodon where just picking a server is the first thing you have to do. And Mastodon has now responded, I think, to Blue Sky by just setting itself as the default. Like Mastodon.social is now the default in the app. This was this is an ideological position they didn't want to take, and I think Blue Sky has forced them to take it. And then the other thing that I think is fascinating is, yeah, it's not a good app and it is broken in, in some deeply hilarious ways, but the way that it is a great app is that it looks exactly like Twitter. Just exactly. Like they didn't... There's no interface innovation occurring in the Blue Sky app whatsoever. It is just Twitter again. So all the people are just doing what they did on Twitter. Yeah. And the platform is not actually Twitter. Well, it it helps that it is only one server right now because – Last week, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll join Blue Sky. Okay, yeah, I'll go and join Mastodon finally. Very different experience doing those yeah. back-to-back because Blue Sky was just like Twitter or anything else. You go and you make it and you're, you're in. You'd go do things. Mastodon, I went and I made it. And then I was like, oh, I want to follow this guy. He's really great. And then it was like, no, he's not on the same server. And I yeah. had to do like copy-paste. It was like all that friction. And there's just none of that there with Blue Sky. But it's garbage. <laughs> yeah, but it it's is, a mess. It's a but, mess of an app. Do you think that they're ever going to announce others? Like, this is the promise. This is what they're meant to do. But ever, the fact that everyone's on the, the main server right now is why it's popular. Yeah. I mean, they say that they're they're really trying to get, they were prioritizing getting to decentralization, which is one of the reasons why uh, when it really exploded last week, there were no blocks. Uh, it was not possible to block another person on on Blue Sky right. um, because they had just deprioritized a lot of these moderation tools. And so you couldn't block someone like you could mute someone, but you could not prevent them from engaging with you, which is not a great thing to happen when you've got, you know, 50,000 people on one platform altogether. All like, of whom are heavily incentivized to cause trouble. Yeah. Uh, gleefully causing trouble. Yes. Yes. And, and are just manic, extremely <laughs> manic to be in, in a place altogether. And so I do think that they are trying to get ahead. And uh, every time something happens, though, which like that's every two hours, something enormous happens on there that seems like a very big deal. Like it distracts from them moving forward towards decentralization. I think that like in an alternate universe before Blue Sky exploded, they would probably have launched decentralization in a few weeks time. I don't know where they are right now. They're pretty vague. I'm sure that they'll give more information at some point. But it sounds like people are not getting a ton of sleep and everything is on fire constantly. So their protocol, uh, Mastodon is built on ActivityPub. We did a whole episode about ActivityPub. Blue Sky's protocol is called AT Protocol, at Protocol, Twitter. You can go to their website. It's atproto.com. Here are the three promises they make. Federated social, connect with anyone at any service that's using the AT Protocol, would just point out that there are no other services using the AT Protocol. Fine. And then the other two are really interesting. Algorithmic choice. So if you want to bring your own recommendation algorithm or your own moderation algorithm, more butts, less butts, yeah. you can go out and pick Butt one. Dial. That means something else, Alex. <laughs> 
Sorry. But if we want to leave and start a company <laughs> that is just algorithmic choice for butts and we call it butt dial, let's do it. Yes, do it. I don't know how to write code. We'll you? be fine. ChatGPT no. is going to write our app called butt dial. And then the third one, which is, I, to me, I think the big meaningful difference from ActivityPub is portable accounts. So if you hate the server, you can go and leave it and go to a different server without losing all your content, your follows, the people who are following you, or your identity. And so this is like the big change, right? Because David, ActivityPub is pretty basic, right? It's like inbox, outbox. Yeah, actually, if for anyone who wants to spend like an unnecessarily large amount of time reading about this space, Jay Graber, who is running Blue Sky, I think in 2020, when they were starting this whole project, did this like massive sweep of every available tool like this from whether it was like Matrix and Signal and XMPP and like all these other different tools for how you might run a social network and wrote like a 200 page document of like how they all work and their pros and cons and all that stuff. And it's really interesting. And where they landed with the AT protocol, like identity is the thing. And they've sort of said this over and over that like the main thing ActivityPub does not do well is let you have an identity that is yours that you can move around, right? Like, and I just had this experience. I actually moved from the random Mastodon account that I was on when I first signed up to Mastodon.social because it's now pretty clearly like the default place. It's where everybody's going to be. I figured I might as well be in that place. And doing it required like downloading a bunch of CSV files onto my computer mm. and uploading them somewhere else. I got rate limited by Mastodon. So I just broke my website for like 30 <laughs> minutes. It's just a bad system. And the way they're building AT is is exactly like you said, such that like if I'm in a server, I don't want to be on any anymore for whatever reason, I can just pick up and drop over somewhere else. And like if we're going to live in this federated place, that's really important. All the people who make ActivityPub would say there's nothing about it that prevents that from being possible and that actually people are building it and it'll all be fine in the long run. But right now, that thing that it is easier to sort of describe who you are to the system is super, super true. And I think it's one of the reasons Blue Sky has worked. It's just easier to show up, pick a username, and go about your life. But Blue Sky also is, again, just one server. Yeah, it's funny. It's like the it's the better federated system with no federation. Yeah. And then the, the clunkier one is actually federated. Which one do you think is the HD DVD and which is yes. the Blu-ray? Yes, I knew it was coming. It's, it has to, right? Like, they, th this is what we're, we're with that choice. We're beta... Betamax versus VHS again, which is which is going to be the standard. Does anybody know? I really don't know because, like, for those kinds of things, like the industry decides, right? Like, ultimately, it is about like for hardware, it's the industry ends up deciding what the standard is because that's very much like companies are going to be making that choice yeah. in the long run. But in this case, there's a weird chaotic element where it's like. Whichever one that Drill posts a lot on. Right? <laughs> right. What's the one that Drill is going to post a lot on? It's the one where Weird Twitter is posting a lot on. Why is Weird Twitter posting a lot on some other thing? It's like it turns into a very recursive thing where it's it's just so chaotic. It is literally chaos theory. And like, I don't know. I don't know how it is that like Blue Sky caught the momentum. Like You say this invite system did drive up buzz and that's true. But it's also true that for weeks on end, people had, you know, 20 invites just sort of sitting in their app yep. that they weren't using because they could not convince any of their friends to use it because their friends were like, oh, that's the social network where pe everyone wants to talk about AI art and Bitcoin. I don't want to go there. <laughs> no, it wasn't that anymore one day. So, yeah, I like I don't know what the tipping point is. And that was just because it's Jack Dorsey's. Right. It is like it's who they invited early on. Right. I don't know what happened to like make it branch out or like what the tipping point was. They say they're not planning on making invite trees um, open, but 
boy, I really want to see that invite tree. I would love yeah. to see what that moment was. Yeah. You just watch it go. So, Sarah, in your piece, one of the things that you noted is that they are, in a very odd way, going through like the entire history of running a social network. While the people who have run social networks at scale are posting on the platform about running social networks, which is just like very funny. It's so funny. The example that made me laugh is Yol Roth, who used to run Trust and Safety at Twitter. When they banned the butts from What's Hot, he was like, welcome to breastfeeding hell, because <laughs> that is the thing that an AI system can't detect. And he's obviously had experience with it. Is there? There's a dynamic there that is like very funny where they're getting a lot of credit for the problems they're going to have. Like there's a lot of kind of benefit of the doubt, I guess is a phrase, but then they're running face first into the brick walls of the problems. And everyone's like, this is hilarious. I can't wait to see what mistake you make next. Oh yeah. It's also like the fact that like all these former heads of trust and safety are like on the social yes. network and are watching and like commenting. It's very much like the thing where like, old retired men in Italy stand at construction sites and like lean into the fences to like comment on how people are using the tools. Right. Like it's a, uh, it, it's really like, I really enjoy watching that. That's, that might actually be my favorite part. Everyone else is enjoying the butts and I'm just going like, yes, trust and safety heads uh, from the backseat. But uh, yeah, it, it's like a lot of really obvious pitfalls and like, it really is kind of very comical, but it's also inevitable in some ways just because of how quickly things are moving, uh, how small the team is, and the fact that they're like chasing this utopian vision of decentralized social media that I don't know how that's going to turn out. Like that's like I understand why they're doing it, but I also think that there are a lot of issues with that and that they're going to be up against some weirder problems in the future. Like right now, all the problems are very normal problems that we've seen over and over again and that they're just having to deal with on the fly because they have no trust and safety department and it's just one person who is running on very very little sleep going <laughs> all right looks like coordinated harassment to me i mean the people who are like, the people who got banned for actually saying i am currently engaged in a coordinated harassment campaign like out loud yeah. it's like yeah. amazing well there was somebody who got their their invite tree cut off yeah because it was like no you invited too many weirdos we don't want you inviting anymore that's a badge of honor like i would print I out that email that. and like put it on the wall and be like that's me Sarah, what are the weirder problems of decentralization that you're, you're referencing here can you also talk about the hell thread as you answer this question because the hell thread is to me the story of blue skies chaos and i don't understand it at all okay why don't I start with the health thread, which I understand a little better, whereas with decentralization and its problems, it's mostly that I ran into this on Mastodon where no one could agree on moderation standards. And so basically you were looking at like these international treaty negotiations happening in real time <laughs> and everyone's very angry with each other. The health thread. Basically, one of the things that they allow on there is bot accounts. People will hook up these chatbots to GPT and um, they're very cutesy and twee. I have them all muted. I cannot stand <laughs> them. Uh, people love them though and will engage with them all the time. But there was this one thread where people were going back and forth with the duck that pretends to have a lisp. And um, and I guess oh the thread God. got really long. You said long. that so casually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, of course. And the thread yeah. got so long you couldn't open it anymore. So you get like a pink like JSON error at the top, and then they tried to like fix it, and then you get got a completely different pink error at the top. They still wouldn't <laughs> open. Um, and then if you were part of the thread, 
you would get notified every time someone replied. So like yes. it's like and you couldn't untag yourself because you couldn't open the thread. You couldn't. Well, you could try to mute the thread, but it would keep unmuting itself for whatever reason. <laughs> unclear why i think they were they were finding different reasons why and then it turned out each reason that they had figured out was not quite the reason why people were unmuting i think at this point they figured out that one of the reasons why the thread kept unmuting was because people would delete their their uh their post and then people would reply to the deleted post and then it would branch out again and then so the mute would no longer apply because the mute had been applied further up thread uh anyways so like at one point, they had two bots talking to each other, so it was sprawling out really <laughs> hard. And then people thought it was funny, so they jump in and post, and then they tag their friends, to, like bait their friends into posting. And then everyone would be in there, and it would be like the the CC, like you replied all uh, accidentally. Everyone's like yelling, like, um, and then people think it's hilarious, so they start posting their nudes in there. And so now you're getting unsolicited nudes and your <laughs> notifications, and you can't mute them or stop them or even load the thread to get out of it. It's well, just... I think people were able to mute it, but then it was getting unmuted. Right, <laughs> right. Yes, it was the hell thread. At some point, I guess the hell thread branched, so the real elite posters now call them hell ropes because wow. it's many threads coming together. Everything about this platform. Is just on the edge of me not wanting to say the words. <laughs> it's actually a tremendous amount of fun. That said, like, I mean, the funniest part about the I, I've, I've avoided getting into the health thread, like at all costs. Liz keeps tagging me into it. Thanks, Liz. Oh, does she? Yeah, but I don't. My superpower is that I don't have notifications for any app on my phone. So, so you're just you're missing you all the butts. You can't touch me. Get get out of my face with this health thread. When I when I wrote the same report, Kevin was like, "Oh, please add some detail on what it's like to be in the health thread." I'm like, I can't. I avoided going there because I'm a <laughs> sane person. Um, but I, I figured it out. It was uh, without having to tag myself in there. It, it's possible to avoid it. You do have to be very careful to avoid it. It is very like early two thousands forum vibes where you're like, "Oh, I know someone's about to goat see me." Not going to click that one. <laughs> and yeah, I think that people are kind of really into the chaos. I think that there is like this thrill that isn't on any of the other alternatives right now that is getting people to like stick around and really enjoy themselves. I don't know if it's just the fully very online people either. Like, I think there's a lot of people who are just enjoying sitting back and watching. And yeah. as more and more people get on there, I think things are just going to sort of smooth out a little bit and it's going to be more of a a normal place. And I think that that goes back to what you were saying earlier about the the sort of like unknowable momentum that it has that it's just like once that flywheel starts it's like it it just for whatever reason is a place to be now in a way that like 2 weeks ago I would have said this is like a neat science project that doesn't really have any sort of meaningful opportunity for actual humans at this point. And then all of a sudden as if by magic it just was a place that was fun and exciting. And well, no, I just want I want to push back the, the tiniest bit of pushback. This thing has fifty thousand users. They are all terminally online. Like they're not cool. And I'm one of those users. And many of us are like I Everyone in this room is on yeah, Blue Sky. I, I just want to be clear. We're like cool. it's like it's Jake Tapper and AOC. Like, I don't know, man. Like it's not the Met Gala. You know what I mean? First of all, AOC <laughs> went to the Met Gala. So great. We can stop. I'm just that. saying it's it's a bunch of nerds. 
and they're having like nerd fun on the internet. But it's it's not actually a threat to Twitter yet. I don't know. That's the same set of nerds who made Twitter. It's those people. And like Jake Tapper has millions of followers on Twitter and was and I don't know if Jake was, but like lots of people with lots of clout and followers were like begging on Twitter for Blue Sky invites. William Gibson had to beg on Twitter for, a, yeah. for an invite. Like he couldn't just find a friend. He had to beg on Twitter for, for one. But I, the, the only point I'm making is any party that is exclusive seems cool. Right. right. Especially sure. if you can't get into it and all and, and then you there's us talking about how cool it is on the inside. Right. And we're like, it's a threat of butts, you can't leave. Like there's a certain subset of our listeners that's like, man, I wish I was in that threat. Yeah. And a much larger subset who absolutely does not. But when it becomes actually lets anybody in, does that go away? Like yes. is this Peach or Ello or any of the other pop up is it be real, which just like appears for a minute. I do think that at this point, because it's so buzzy, like it's not going to disappear if it opens up. That said, they absolutely cannot open up because they cannot handle it. Like they can barely handle what's going on right now. Like it, it is genuinely like the next week or so. Like if they don't buckle, like it'll be truly a feat if they don't buckle under the pressure of having to speed run content moderation at scale. <laughs> um, it, it's like there is no way they can like truly open up this platform. The other part of it is that they are airdropping a fairly large number of invites on a select number of people. I will occasionally beg them for invites so that I can spread them out in a really hilarious way. Personally, I think it's very funny to be giving invites to local journalists. Like I gave invites to the entire newsroom of like a nonprofit local newsroom <laughs> because I, like I thought that was really funny. I thought it was very funny that celebrities can't get invites and that now the entire newsroom of a small Oregonian nonprofit is <laughs> yes. on there. Like, that's hysterical. But I know that there's, like, specific individuals. There's one woman where everyone's like, who's this person? But, like, she's, like, passed out hundreds of invites and no one knows why she's getting invites other than that I guess they like who she keeps inviting. But the way that she's inviting people is that whenever anyone goes... I need an invite. She'll jump right into their mentions and go, I've got invites for you. And then and so the <laughs> invite tree must just be wild, absolutely wild. So I know that like there's people definitely coming in and it really does seem like the the fresh blood is like filling in. Right. But like, I really don't think this is an LO peach phenomenon. I don't know mm -hmm. how long it's going to last because it, it the energy is so manic. It could just be an extinction burst kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's really fascinating. I would disagree with your assertion that the people on there are not cool right now. I mean, no one's very cool on a social network. That's yeah. simply how it goes. Okay, I'll accept that. That is that is an acceptable rebuttal. Like if you're posting automatically two point deduction. If you tell somebody exactly. in real life how many followers you have. Yeah. Just no. You're, you're done. Out. Yeah. Cool card gone. <laughs> it was super funny to me that all of this was happening like at the exact moment that the blue checks being embarrassing thing was happening. So it was just like all of this energy of like, where is a place to be that is not the worst on the internet was all of a sudden like, like you have Stephen King like telling everyone, I did not pay for this. Please don't make fun <laughs> of me. I did not pay for Twitter blue. And then all of a sudden, like you're talking about this sort of exclusive club opens up and it, it will be interesting once those things both sort of come back to a more sort of natural middle ground, whether blue sky continues to seem this cool and exciting. I also genuinely wonder if the platform works, will it be as much fun? Or if they actually decentralize. I think that's the big one. The thing that's funniest about this is like the centralized platform is winning, right? But it's supposed to be decentralized. Yeah. People love centralization. That's the thing. Yeah. Like it's Guilty. everyone. Everybody like, wants a king. 
all of these alternatives, like they, they love decentralization, but when it comes down to it, what the people demand is centralization. It's, uh, it, it is, it is really a weird thing. Yeah. Everybody wants to be the loudest person in the biggest room. They don't want to be the loudest person in the littlest room. Nobody likes fiddling with controls. Like Gmail won for a reason. Like yeah. e- email is an open ecosystem and it also isn't because Gmail essentially runs the email universe. And it's because Gmail was good and everybody was like, cool, I don't have to think about this or host my own server anymore. And everybody just has Gmail now. And like if you have a Yahoo email, that's embarrassing. Now it's like having a Twitter blue check. Like if you have it, <laughs> oh, no. you should probably change. <laughs> All right. I want to end, David. There's a little bit of other decentralized social media news. You read about Mozilla doing a thing. It does seem like the race to stand up the server is on. Like Mozilla is like, what if we ran the Mastodon server that everybody used? Yes. The the race I would frame it slightly differently. The race to set up a server is very much on. I think you're going to see a lot of companies suddenly have, you know, x.social things very quickly. Uh, It's relatively easy to stand up. People understand what it is. It solves the problem. What there isn't and what I wish there was, was somebody coming in and saying, we are going to be the Gmail of this space. Like, even for this big activity pub story I wrote, I kept talking to people who are like, no, we just want to be good citizens of the Fediverse. We think everything's going to be great. And it's like, Maybe it'll be meta with this P92 thing they're working on, but just show up and be like, we're the best at this. What's up, fools? <laughs> and then, and that's when it's like, okay, this might actually have a chance. Like, I'm just imagining Mark Zuckerberg saying that phrase. What's up, fools? <laughs> <laughs> he just jujitsu kicks you and that's it. <laughs> no, so the Mozilla news was Mozilla announced in December that it was interested in the Fediverse and was going to do something. And the, the news this week was that they're actually standing up a Mastodon instance called Mozilla.social. And their big idea is they want to start to push on some of this content moderation stuff. They came up with a whole new set of content policies that are not about neutrality. They're not about free speech. They're about like, we are going to protect people and make this a pleasant place to be on the internet. And they're, you know, fiddling with the tools that it's going to take to make that work. And they're trying to figure out how to enforce some of those policies as they grow. And so they're in this place of like, they're going to start a very small community with a very specific set of rules uh, it reminds me of like a subreddit, right? Where it's like, this is how this is how we talk. This is what we talk about. And if you don't play by the rules, I have absolutely no compunction in just kicking you out. Mozilla's question is like, can they do that at real scale? And they feel like they're in a good position as an organization to test that in a way that a lot of the other folks setting up Mastodon instances right now are not. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I don't get the sense that they're out here trying to be sort of the biggest name in Mastodon, but that could change. You get the sense that they think maybe selling moderation software is a potential business in the future. And so if they can do an instance where all the knobs are turned up all the way, they could sell you that same software and you can adjust the knobs. I think a lot of people feel the that butt way. Dial. Uh, the butt dial. Yeah. Mozilla could make the butt dial. Mozilla, do not take our idea. That is trademark the Verge cast. Mozilla, <laughs> listen, Mitchell Clark, come at me. Uh, but no, I think you're right. And I think, I mean, one of the things that is true of Mozilla's really weird org chart is that it is a corporation owned by a nonprofit. So their like their idea of sort of using product to do activism is very alive in what they're doing here. But I also think you're absolutely right that if they can figure this out and it can be the sort of thing that like if I'm I don't know, they mentioned what brands or like government services. Like if I'm the MTA and I'm like, okay, I want to have a place to tell people what's going on that isn't a total hell site on the internet. And Mozilla can sort of make this nice little package that makes that workable. That could be a pretty interesting business for a while. I'm like very obsessed with this entire moment. Like it just feels like between Twitter kind of breaking and a 
bunch of people shopping around and every other platform turning into a TikTok version that like the true posters are looking for a home and the competition to make one for them is will just remake the internet. And I think it's going to be hilarious. It's only going to be fun. It, it feels very early 2000s right now. Everything in media is like absolutely back to. Yeah. Can I just say this? Jonah Preddy, who's the CEO of BuzzFeed, is like out there with like his big predictions for media. He's like, homepages will be a big deal. And it's like, dude, have you seen The Verge.com? I not only predicted this like two years ago. Like, look at our website. Don't steal my move. You were the Facebook guy. All right. We got to end this segment before I get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Peretti's actually right there behind me. Yeah, he's out there. He's putting rubber bands around a watermelon just waiting for me to walk by. Go to (laughs) TheVerge.com. We'll see you on our own page. We'll be right back. Support of The Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. It's a weight management program that uses psychology and biology to help you develop healthy, sustainable habits. Noom believes that weight loss starts with the brain, and their daily lessons are tailored to help users understand the science behind food cravings and eating choices. Whether you want to lose weight, increase physical activity, meet a health goal, or simply change the way you think about food, Noom can help you build healthy habits while still enjoying your favorite foods. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. All right, we're back. Thanks again to Sarah for taking us into a world of... Butts and Lawyers. It's a Blue Sky platform. It's great. Lots of AI news this week. Some good, some bad, some weird. David, what's going on? So I feel like the place we should start is with Jeffrey Hinton. So he's this guy who won the Turing Award in 2018. He did a lot of the early work on deep learning that is like the foundational stuff for AI as we know it today. So much of the work that has happened, like Google likes to take credit for like, we invented Transformers. Like this guy invented the stuff before the stuff. Like none of where we are happens without Jeffrey Hinton and his team from like a decade ago. Uh, And he quit his job at Google and then gave this big interview to the New York Times and has talked to some other folks since then, basically saying, I regret my life's work. I like, I fear for what I have wrought on humanity. 
And I think he said, let me see if I can this. He said, I console myself with the normal excuse. If I hadn't done it, somebody else would have. And then he said, it's hard to see how you can prevent the bad actors from using it for bad things. So we're in this space of like, there have been a bunch of calls for people to slow down. Everybody's worried about the singularity. The world's going to fall apart. AI is going to destroy us all. And yet, as we should talk about, there is this like constant unending drumbeat of AI news. But it was funny this week to see all of that after the guy, they literally call him the godfather of AI comes out and is like, maybe all of this was a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) Because he like kicked it off. Cade Metz wrote this really great book a couple of years ago about like the origins of AI. And it starts with him trying to figure out where he's going to take all his technology and who's going to pay him the most money. And he like like, that kicked everything off because it was like Baidu, Google, whatever. And he ended up going with Google and made a lot of money doing it. And then I think like wasn't one of the chief researchers is now at OpenAI, like Everything that we think of as AI nowadays kind of springs from this dude. So, so for him to say, like, it sucks. Yeah, it's like when when Elon Musk comes out and is like, oh, you know, six month pause on AI. It's like, OK, well, whatever. And then he comes out and is like, I'm going to start my own AI company. So there's been a lot of people who have kind of access to grind for one reason or another. But this guy, I can't think of someone who would have more credibility to say something like this than Jeff Hinton. This is like very similar to when Oppenheimer was like, nope. We did a bad. We made the nuclear bomb. And that's a little terrifying to think like such a big transformative tech and then have the person who kicked it off be like, my bad. You just can't wait for this movie. I you, cannot, this is just, I'm so you're ex- just working our way to Yeah, I've been, I've been listening mention. to the book on audio oh, for nice. like the last four years. <laughs> I was going to say, that book is like 1,300 pages oh, long. Oh my, I, like, I even have it sped up. I don't like to speed things up, but I have it sped up and I'm still like, oh my God, it just keeps going. <laughs> and I'm like, and I, I definitely messaged Liz one day and was like, when do you think like Hinton or someone has their crying to Eisenhower moment about what they did? And it sounds like he cried to Kate Metz. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. This book, the book you're talking about is called, what is it? The, the Man Who Built the Atomic Bomb? Yeah. yeah. But now it's going to be a Christopher Nolan movie. The book is excellent, though. And if you start reading it right now and read it 40 hours a week, you'll finish it just before the movie comes out this fall. <laughs> so on the same sort of note, Biden had a meeting, or rather, let me say, Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, had a meeting today with Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, Dario Amode, the CEO of Anthropic, another big AI company, uh, Sachin Adela, and Sundar Pichai. And the reason I say Biden had the meeting is the White House put out a press release saying that Biden stopped by yeah. Kamala Harris. Yeah, he just, he just popped in to be like, what's going on in the Roosevelt room today? <laughs> what are y'all doing? Oh, is it four major C- uh, AI CEOs? I mean, there's a bunch of other people there, too. But there's a lot of energy from the government to put some regulations in place. I think we've heard the FTC say, hey, like we don't have to regulate AI because a lot of what we do is regulate lying. And so if you use robots to lie to people, it's fine. that's just lying. And you can't be like, but it's computer lying and somehow <laughs> escape the laws. So like, there's a lot of that. Like, What is the existing law? What is the existing law that could stop AI Drake? Right? We, like, we, we've written that story and it's like very funny. It's a laser bong. And then there's like, what is the existing law that, I don't know, if you are writing a bunch of books and putting them on Amazon and holding out that a person wrote them, but they were actually written by ChatGPT, is there some existing fraud statute that would make that illegal? So I think there's a lot of that going on, but then there's just a lot of, should we actually stop it? Should we like hit the button and stop it for a minute so we can make an actual framework of AI laws? And it seems like there's more heat around that than ever. And also, what would that look like? Is that even possible? Like, th- I think the, the sort of open question for a lot of this is, what would any of that even look like? I mean, so much of the conversation, even coming from the, the government in the White House this week, is basically to the effect of, like, 
be cool guys. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's a lot of saying like, you know, use ethics and morals and don't be bad or discriminatory. And it's like, okay, all of that is well and good, but what does that look like? Even when I just keep coming back to Sundar Pichai saying, I think he said it on 60 Minutes, that even Google doesn't really understand how its AI works. And it's like, okay, these things are black boxes, even to the people that make them. And there is no be cool button. And so this race to like, what does it mean to stop it? Uh, we can't train new systems, but then Sam Altman is out here saying, well, this the race you're describing to like build new LLMs is pointless. It's as good as it's ever going to be in this world that we live in. So like what what moves does anybody have here is super unclear to me. Yeah, I think there are moves, but they're not like you can't just stop large language models. That's that's out of the bottle. It's happening. And, and yeah, you people, can just run yeah, them on a laptop. Now. Yeah, anybody can run them on a laptop. Then go build them if you're you're smart enough. I'm not, but there are smart people who can just go build them. You can't stop that anymore, but you can potentially stop like the aggressive monetization of them. Wait, I have a I have a different view of this. Okay, no, 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 no. I think the aggressive monetization will be what saves humanity. Like, oh yeah, unchecked capitalism will save humanity from AI. Here's my here's my evidence okay. for this claim. I'm very excited. Snapchat is already testing sponsored links in its My AI chatbot. Yeah, nobody's going to use that. Yeah, it's yeah. just like you know what that AI is definitely not it's like, not going to ruin humanity. Saw that, but nope, because no, thank it, it's you. already kind of bad. Yeah. and then it has ads in it. Snapchat users are so mad at My AI <laughs> that like I mean you have all these all these young people who have like carefully curated screens with their streaks and it's like that space is sacred, and now there's just a chatbot who's like. What's up? Would you like to look at some ads? <laughs> it's like little stupid shimmy being like, hey, hey guys. Uh, yeah. I think this is true of Bing as well. They rolled out some new Bing features today along with some monetization. And like same thing is happening. It's it's getting weird. Yeah. People are people are turned off by the AIs. Yeah. I, I'm telling you just like the addition of advertising into these AI bots. Immediate. Yeah, that's a good I like it's that. It's like maybe that will save us. Finally capitalism is finally good for some something. direct response advertising for Hulu will do some good in this world. <laughs> There's other stuff. Uh, Zillow rolled out some chat GPT stuff today where you can just ask it for houses. Do people not know what the filter button is on Zillow? Uh, Monica wrote our post about Zillow and she sounds ecstatic about just talking to Zillow about houses. I mean, like I spend a lot of time. Yo, I was yeah, going to say, yeah, you're, you're house hunting right now. Yeah. yeah. I, I just got mine. So I like oh, deleted get. the Zillow app and it was a big moment for me. I was like, I don't need you for at least a year. It's like a dating app. You're yeah. Like, I'm <laughs> done for now. But but yeah, you just see that, that filter button's really easy. But I, I could see maybe being like a really smart AI being like, okay, this is nice. But do you have anything a little closer to the, the path train at Journal Square? You guys are thinking about this all wrong. The appeal of Zillow as a chat GPT plugin is I can just ask it to show me the wildest shit and it will find the houses that are insane. Like, do you, do you guys follow Zillow gone wild on Instagram? Yes. It, it just imagine a chatbot that can just give you infinity Zillow gone wild. <laughs> this is the dream. <laughs> like show me houses that have living rooms covered in medieval armor and it yeah. just will. Like, I just That's perfect. That's the dream. It's the best version of Zillow ever. You don't think I can just say, dear God, find me a house. Can I just give you a, a little life update to the yeah, Oliver Chess yeah. audience? How's it going? The current state of our house hunt, we're trying to leave the woods and come back to civilization, uh, consists of us finding something that we thought was cool, reasonably priced, sending it to our real estate agent, because we're doing so bad that we have a real estate agent now. And she replied, no, that's the murder house. <laughs> I mean, and then we discovered it's the house where someone ate a baby. Like, 
Oh, I was going to be like, it's not that bad. But no, that's nope. a bad one. Nope. Don't, don't Super cannibalism. <laughs> nope. And Becky is like, but it's a pretty good deal. It's like, can you just redo the kitchen? Like, <laughs> those ghosts aren't there. It's anymore. not going great. And if only Zillow could be like, that's the murder, murder house. <laughs> Is that a murder house? Yeah. Real, yeah, right? Can you just be like, is this a murder house? Price suspiciously below market. I feel like you could get a lot of, like, because people would want that, too. Find me a murder house? Yeah. This is the future of Zillow. Yeah. But that's very commercial. This is, I mean, just coming back to this again, very commercial for all of its entertainment value. I don't think the Zillow AI poses a threat to humanity. It's just, uh, it's a strong prediction here on the Vergecast today. I hope it destroys humanity just because that would be funny. She's like, it was the Zillow bot. <laughs> that would be good. And I think if any publication is poised to cover it, yeah, it's us. It's us. But my prediction is that I don't think the Zillow AI is a threat to humanity at this time. I like that, that, that yeah, qualifier. You got to weasel out of it a little yeah. bit. But then there's kind of the weird other side, which is there was a study this week from NewsGuard, which kind of like rates. It's a for-profit, but it rates the, the veracity of new sites. Anyway, they uh, so they found 49 entire sites generated from whole cloth designed to just spam Google search. Yes. And it's like, oh, this is, it's happening. You've been saying that for months. The only reason they found 49 is um, because they were searching for specific strings mm -hmm. that ChatGPT generates, like my data runs out in 2021 or as a chatbot. So it's just the most obvious ones. So there's obviously lots that they couldn't find. Yeah. These were just the lazy ones. Yeah. These were the ones where no one deleted, I'm a chat bot from the output before feeding it into Google. And they found 50 of those. Can I just read you the names of a bunch of these, yeah. by the way? Uh, James Vincent on our team, by the way, has done a really great job of covering this stuff. It turns out if you, if you just follow the phrase as a large language model around the internet, it does some really amazing stuff. He's been writing about how it's showing up in like product reviews and Yelp and all these different places. It's really fascinating. But I just I just want to read you the names of a bunch of these. It is the most like uncanny valley stuff I've ever seen. Biz breaking news. News Live 79. Daily <laughs> Business Post. Yeah. Bestbudgetusa.com. <laughs> uh HarmonyHustle.com. It's just, and just on and on. They're all like that. It's like uh, CountyLocalNews.com. CountyLocalNews.com is a great website. I love it. And it's just all of those where you're like, they exist in this like perfect liminal space that it's like, <laughs> it, it, it's almost there. At any moment, any one of these is signing you up for a class action lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. One of them is just called The News Network. I mean, like, come it's on. It's so good. It's so good. That's a really, like, did they get that URL? Yeah. I'm sorry. I just saw a screenshot from The News Network. And it's it's one of those, like, okay, imagine a website, right? And you have the, the big header up top with the one sort of main headline. <laughs> the headline, the breaking news headline on The News Network is, I'm sorry for the confusion. As an AI language model, I don't have access to external information or news updates beyond my knowledge cutoff date. However, based on the given article title, an eye-catching news headline could be... And that's the end of the headline. <laughs> that's incredible. It's so I'm just telling you, these are the ones that got caught, and there's 49 of them already. And, really and they had bad. to buy domains and populate them with whatever they populated them with. The incoming to Google. I'm very excited to go to Iowa next week and just like talk to everyone there about what they're going to do when the flood comes in. I mean, I think the flood's already there. Yeah. Well, and this is what we've been talking about, right, Neil? Like the the robot internet. It's stuff with programmatic advertising and AI content made to be found by Google robots, and it just this is the cycle on and on and on. And those those things they all weirdly kind of 
like each other for a while. Like yeah. that that is a profitable thing for Google to be part of in a lot of ways, except in the big picture that it makes Google search unusable and that will ultimately kill its business. But yeah. like it's a it's a weird thing to figure out how to screw up that cycle. I do think there's something to be said about our long blue sky conversation. And it's like, here's where the people are. A lot of people who are very familiar to you who are like good at posting in this way. And then the thing that broke that platform, well, one of the many things that broke that platform is like an AI duck with a lisp. It's just like wherever you introduce this technology, weird things happen. But I, I'm i just saying my AI doomerism mm-hmm. is like you just see how this thing is being expressed right now. And yes, you can pay for chat GPT and like get a bunch of tokens and ruin you can basically like the news network will destroy the internet it will just it will ruin the web as an ongoing concern at least the web is currently structured by google's influence maybe that's fine i don't know but you can just see how because it's kind of garbage like it's it's just hard to like feel a sense of pervasive doom when it's like we can make the laser bong song now well, I think as as good as the laser bong song is, I think the other side of that is that we're learning, like we've already learned that people have a capacity to not give a shit mm-hmm. and, about quality and they'll just be like, this is good enough. Yeah. And that's where that's where the real threat of AI is, right? Because we have both, we had this week, both the Writers Guild and then a lot oh, this of is a good point. game developers being like, this is bad and it's going to destroy our industry because producers care about the money. They don't care about quality. So they can, we have to stop them. Yeah. So, like, that's the other side of it. Yes, yeah, so the, the the writers guild is on strike. Hollywood's they, they've on strike. gone on strike, and it's for a wide variety of reasons. A lot of them related to streaming. But one of the things that they asked for was, we want you to commit to not using an AI for writing anything, and you can't use our scripts to teach it. You can't you can't have it come up with an idea and then give it to us and ask us to write that idea that an AI came up with. It has to be out of the picture. And the producers responded with, "Well, what about?" If we just like talk to you every year it's about updates and technology. And so, yeah, it's this big gap between them. And I don't know how they close that because it was both a sides... meeting, a once a year meeting about technology. Yeah. About, I yeah. would love to go to that meeting. That will solve it. Such a good meeting. Here on this show, we have that meeting once a week. Yeah. <laughs> like You can just come hang out with us. We'll <laughs> talk to us all the time. But there, there is like that, that existential threat for a lot of people yeah. where it does affect jobs and, and stuff like that, where they are like fearful. And so there's like like capitalism may destroy it, but capitalism is also going to encourage it in these places where people Very with money just don't care. Oh yeah, I'm I'm only half serious when I say yeah. capitalism will save us. It'll save it'll I save mean, some of us. What I mean is it'll that save Snapchat. It'll save Snapchat. It'll insert. It'll cruft up the user interfaces in some of these places. Yeah, and it will obviously create. Extremely weird outcomes for people like screenwriters. By the way, many disclosures here. Because so we've had many Hollywood. disclosures. Uh, let's see if I can do. Let's see if I can do them all. One, it's the Writers Guild of America. Our staff and much of the writing staff at Vox Media, represented by the Writers Guild of America. I believe you're in it. I am in the Writers Guild of America. You get the, yes. screen, you get the screeners. I get the screeners. That's why I'm in That's it. That's very good. We made a Netflix show, which is now nominated for an Emmy. Ooh. Well, well then. So I'm the EP of a Netflix show. Um, I have HBO. Mm-hmm. I picked TikTok first in the streaming draft. <laughs> By the way, uh, and then third, I actually wanted to mention this. Um, Adam Conover is one of, from Adam Ruins Everything, one of the negotiators mm-hmm. uh, for the Writers Guild. And he was just on the town podcast with Matthew Bellany talking about how it's going. I was just about to recommend that podcast. It's a really good episode. Everybody should listen to it. He is the fastest talker in the world. But I think I might have been at one point. I was going to say, I think a lot of people who listen to this show would, would say you might 
take that. Especially <laughs> listen at two x. <laughs> Very true. Anyway, great episode. Uh, those are our disclosures. Yeah, that was. Are there good. any others? Comcast is a minority investor in Box Media Parent Company. That's the that's the yeah. one. Yeah, Peacock is the only one who's against a- using AI. <laughs> that's not true. That's Peacock is like, what if the whole thing was AI? <laughs> Comcast is a minority investor in our parent company, Box Media. Last one. There's some big big updates this week. It's sort of. David, what's going on here? Some Bing-ish updates. Well, okay, I want to talk a little bit about the updates, but then I'm, I mostly want to talk about this weird thing that Microsoft is doing with Edge because I'm curious how you guys feel about it. But the the Bing updates are basically uh, Microsoft continues to look for more ways to put stuff into Bing. So now they're doing things like if you you know get the name of a restaurant from Bing, you say like where should I go for dinner in Seattle, and it says these restaurants, it's going to start to bake in things from like open table where it'll actually start to do reservations for you, or you can integrate with streaming services and it'll actually like deep link and take you to find that stuff. So the, the goal is to like pull more of search into Bing. Uh, I think one of the things we've been looking for is sort of this push and pull between like things coming into chatbots and chatbots going out into other products. And so I think what we're starting to see is these chatbots, especially being sort of subsume more and more stuff into this chat interface, which I mostly think is fine and smart and interesting. I think chat as an interface has a lot of work to do for that stuff to work. Like, we're just going to do this thing that we did with the voice assistants where it's like, wouldn't you like to book a flight through this interface? And the answer is like, no, like a, <laughs> a, a chat to book a flight is the single worst possible way to book a flight. The way to book a flight is to see a screen full of numbers and then you click on one of them and that's how you book a flight. The lowest uh, one. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was about to name some airlines, but <laughs> I will withhold my judgment. Oh, yeah. The lowest one accepting certain <laughs> airlines. Uh, but I think so that's all fine and good, right? Like Bing is Bing is still horny. That's like its main thing that has going for it. Uh, but Microsoft is desperate to like figure out more stuff for you to do with it other than be horny. Wait, so it is notable that next week is I.O. We are expecting a lot of AI in search discussion from Google at I.O. And Microsoft is like... Well, we already launched, and here's our first set of updates. Yeah, I think that's that's a good way to look at it. They still have a pretty, I don't know if you call it a lead. They're ahead in having a functional product, but Google doesn't have one yet. So Microsoft is ahead. It has no market share, so I don't know if you could call it a lead. But they're ahead in, like, here's Bing, and we're adding features to it. And Google hasn't even, like, gotten out of the gate yet, really. I like that they did the restaurants, because that, I, I keep going back to that, that Google I.O., demo where they're like, yeah, we're going to call the restaurant. Oh, I've used that for real a few times now. Did it really work? It works. Right. It's it's weird. I feel like a jerk every time I do it, but the restaurants don't seem to care because I show up and spend money. Yeah. That's my problem. I always feel bad sicking a robot on the restaurant, even though it does seem to work. I've done it a couple of times to make appointments for various things and it works fine. I just am always like, I just feel like an ass that they're like, oh, I'm a robot calling on behalf of David. Do you, you feel like you're going to walk in and you're like, oh, you're the robot guy. Yes, and that, that's 100%. actually not true. It's like, no, no, it's never they're just like, oh, you made this reservation. I take a lot of phone calls and I'm not putting faces to names. Would you like a Diet Coke? Like, it's a very yeah. normal. They write robot basically. guy next to the your name when guy. they get it. Yeah. Like beep, boop, bop, boop. You're a jerk. <laughs> but the other thing that's happening is Microsoft, because it apparently does not remember the company that it was 23 years ago, is now getting really, really, really aggressive with Edge, its browser. And it has been doing this for a little while, where like if you're on Windows and you try to use a different browser, it just sort of repetitively is like, but what if you used Edge? Wouldn't that be cool if you used Edge? Don't you love Edge? Why don't you love Edge? Love Edge. What's wrong with you? Love Edge. And then it just tries to sort of beat you into submission. But the new news 
uh, this week was that if you use Teams, I think it's Teams first and then Outlook after, uh, and you click a link, even if you don't have Edge as your default browser, it will just open Edge. And they what they claim is some confusing nonsense about like user accounts being the same everywhere that I don't really understand. But what it what it functionally says is like if you use Microsoft products, we don't give a rat's ass what your default browser is. You will use Edge, and part of that is because things like Bing is the default search engine, and Microsoft really wants you to use Bing all of a sudden. And it's like owning that browser is very important for Microsoft right now, and it is just going way out of its way to make people use it. This is the first sentence of Tom Warren's post about this. Oh, he's right though. Microsoft Edge is a good browser, but for some reason, Microsoft keeps trying to shove it down everyone's throat and make it more difficult to use rifles like Chrome or Firefox, which I believe is what you were about. Yeah, to say. I was just about to say the exact same thing because it is like it's good. You can use it, but they're like, no, we're going to really cram it in there. And I'm like, no, that's how you make it bad. Everybody's going to immediately hate it yeah. because you're you're cramming it down their throats. They already have to use Teams and they don't want to use Teams. I promise you. Very few people in my experience. Uh-huh are like, oh, the software I was forced to use at work, that's the software I will choose to use in my life. With the exception of Slack. No, I, there's no, I. Oh, I'm in, I'm in like group chats on Slack. Because you have like media friends. Yeah. That's, yeah. your brain is poisoned. <laughs> Every time I try to suggest being in a Slack with like non-media friends, everyone's like, why? Yeah, we did one and like all those people bounced. All the media people are still in there <laughs> yeah. and every, all the normals are like, nah. I'm just saying like as a. I get it, right? You have this tool. You're very excited about Edge. Edge is really good now because it's based on Chrome. It's just Chrome. <laughs> and you're like, how do I get? And they pulled their Microsoft move from 23 years ago. And they're like, we'll just assert our dominance in one area by using our dominance in another. And it's like. I like how Microsoft has been very quiet. And, and we were all kind of like, is Microsoft cool now? Like, they're doing cool stuff. They seem like chill. And they're like, yeah, now we're going to crush Google and destroy it. And make Sundar dance. Dance. That was that was the quote. And we're going to force teams down your throat. We're going to force Edge down your throat. And I'm like, no, you guys were never cool. You were just waiting. You were just <laughs> biding your time. Now you're out. Uh, you know, there's a chance that they're just lashing out because the Activision deal is falling through. Yeah. Like they're just like, it's like a little Edge-based temper tantrum. <laughs> I, look, I think the Google-Microsoft fight is very good. I think it's generally good for us as consumers. I think that even if it wasn't weird from a competitive standpoint to tie one piece of software to another and ignore defaults, like that's weird. That's like. There's like a European bureaucrat reading The Verge who's like, ha like ready to go. It's also just like basic computer decency. Right. right. It's like there's an etiquette there. And I'm just telling you, forcing people to use enterprise software does not win you market share. It makes people just open Safari on their Macs at home. The end. And like, uh, hopefully Microsoft learns this lesson. All right. We got to take a break. And a little bit of a lightning round. We'll be right back. I won't tell you if there's going to be butts. We'll be right back. <laughs> Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, 
Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Okay, we're back. It's lightning round time. It's quite a lot of potential for this lightning round. Kranz, let's start with you. Okay, I'm very excited because Gmail now has blue or is gonna yes. have blue verified. Check so marks. I read this headline. I have no idea what this means. So you know when you get an email and you're like, "Is that really from Google?" And sometimes it's not. Oh, this is, this is like, like a phishing protection. Yeah, this is like phishing protection. It's just gonna have a check mark. And is it eight dollars a, a month? No, it's free. It's it's okay. they're rolling it out. It's I think it sounds like it's primarily brands first, but yeah, just verify this is the actual person emailing you. And it's like, why hasn't this existed before? Because now? email is an open protocol, and this is a thing a centralized provider can. I'm just waving yeah. at David, just angrily, <laughs> because David said this. It's his fault. <laughs> and I, I I just I love it. I love that this is this is why a nice centralized protocol can sometimes be good. Is we can know when we're getting fished. A little better. A little better. Just a little. Do you th- are they going to like put it into like the email standard? Oh heavens, no, no. I I think it's just going to be in, in Gmail. Gmail. Yeah. Very good. I, I, the real centralization decentralization has been a real theme on this on today's episode, mm-hmm. and centralization is winning. That's yeah. the other theme. Yeah, because like decentralized stuff is really good in your head. It's it, academically, it's like communism. Academically, great idea. In practice, doesn't work. Well, I, I can't wait for you to get some emails from people without blue checks Ooh, in response to that. will I? All right. Here's mine. This is a call out of a really good Liz Lopato piece this week about Andreessen Horowitz, storied Silicon Valley venture capital firm, but also Andreessen Horowitz, big investor in Clubhouse, big investor, which is not doing great, had layoffs. turns out uh, Clubhouse, people wanted to talk to each other on their phone when they were forced to be in their houses during the pandemic. Not a great platform when people can go outside. So Clubhouse is in some weird trouble. Substack uh, in extremely weird trouble. Remember when Substack Notes was going to be the thing that Blue Sky became? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Negative revenue for Substack. That's a weird one. Anderson Horowitz, big investor. They were a big investor in BuzzFeed. They're a big investor in Twitter 2.0. Uber. Uh, yeah, but like the, the point of Liz's story is they thought they could remake the media. And they invested in all these things that were supposed to remake the media and, and disintermediate legacy institutions like the Times. And I think mostly Anderson's like mad at the Times. Well, yeah. And their and their whole thing. I mean, even do you remember when they launched their own media vertical future? Uh, I forgot. The whole pitch was get rid of gatekeepers, right? It was like go direct is a very famous Andreessen Horowitz phrase. Go direct. Right. Like let people and creators go direct to each other. Like that was Substack's whole thing is like, don't go get a salary from a large company, like get paid by your audience. I think they, they invested in Elon Musk's Twitter, I think, on a lot of the same basis. He was he made this big creator 
push that has ultimately amounted to precisely nothing as far as i can tell <laughs> but uh that was the idea and like clubhouse was supposed to be that too it was like and do you remember when it was like oh look here's like lightly famous people just like talking wasn't that amazing and then they all went back to their jobs and lives and that fell apart but this that was supposed to be the pitch and all kind of at the same time for whatever reason i don't know if it was a bad idea or just like hasn't quite worked but like that that turn just never really got made so it did. It, it, the the creators go direct to your audience has worked for a lot of creators on a oh, lot sure. of platforms, right? Just not on the ones that A16Z bet on. <laughs> yeah. It, we know Casey is on Substack. He's successful on Substack going direct sure. to an audience. That's great. Yeah. We know lots of people on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram who are creator economies going well for them. But as platform businesses, as things that replace the sort of architecture of the mainstream media, most of those platforms are still reactive to the media, they're reactive to actual journalism. And then on top of it, there's like bad businesses. And I, there's just something really interesting about that dynamic. And Liz does a good job peeling it apart. Disclosure, uh, we are journalists who work at a media organization. You guys those, suck. Those are facts. All right, David, what you got? <laughs> uh, mine is this Google announcement from this week that they now support pass keys uh, for logging into your Google account. Uh, have either of you set up pass keys on your Google account? No. Not yet. You should, should. do it. It takes... Five seconds. Everyone listening to this, if you have a Google account, you don't have to like pull your car over. But next time you're sitting at a red light, mm, that's probably still illegal. <laughs> pull the car over. Next time the car is in park. There you go. <laughs> How about that? Uh, next time you are safely able to use your phone in thoroughly legal ways, go log into Google and set it up. You will be shocked at how quick it is. And basically, pass keys are these things that are trying to replace passwords with biometrics, essentially. So like you you log into websites with your face or your thumb the same way that you log into your phone. And there's a bunch of really interesting cryptography going on underneath. There's a whole thing called the FIDO Alliance that covers how all of it works. None of that really matters. The point is now like website by website, it is getting easier and more secure simultaneously to log into stuff. And this tech has been ready for a long time. We've been covering it for a long time. I read a really great story Russell Brandon wrote on The Verge like several years ago talking about how this was all kind of around the corner. And it was for a long time. And now like Google is a huge domino in this game. And I think it's it's a big moment for passkeys in the sense that this is about to be the first time that most people have ever interacted with passkeys. I'm very excited about it. And everybody should go set it up. It's It's excellent. It won't work with like single sign-on stuff, right? Like if you have to use for say Okta. So what would have to happen there is Okta would have to start supporting passkeys. And this is the problem, right? The tech has existed for a while. It's now built into the iPhone supports passkeys. I think most modern Android phones support passkeys, but the only way to enable it is like website by website and you need both sides to support it for it to work. But it's coming quickly. Yeah, I would imagine this announcement came out ahead of I.O. I imagine we hear something about I.O. And then I imagine we hear an Apple domino fall at WWDC. Like it's, it, this is as developer-y as consumer-y. Yeah. And this seems like the right season for more of this to happen. It is very exciting because passwords are stupid. If I can get to a place in my life where I'm never reminding my parents what their passwords are, yeah. I'll be very happy. That's that's his dream. All right, we've gone over, as always. Thanks to Sarah. There was just a lot of butt talk on this episode of the podcast. <laughs> Love the butts. Shouts to Zach for his categorization in the app store <laughs> or the podcast store. Is it going to get the E or not? I say no. Let the children hear about butts <laughs> on the internet. Uh, there's a lot going on on the site. Uh, just a really good week on the site. And the next week is IO. So bridge.com, install it directly to your home screen. It's pretty good. You can do that now. You can do that now. That's it. That's for Chester. Rock and roll. 
And that's a wrap for VergeCast this week. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at vergecast at theverge.com. The VergeCast is a production of The Verge and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters. That's it. We'll see you next week. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.